We want to welcome all who you are faithful people who didn't let the temptation of Memorial Day deter you, right? Deter you from skipping church to go, you know, I'm sorry, if you're listening to this after Memorial Day travels, God bless you. But I'm proud of you that you guys are here. So um, I'm going to share what I uh, discovered about myself, which you may not know about me, right? I'm going to reveal myself to you. I realized this week that I'm a big nerd. I really, you guys, you guys know that about me? Really, I guess I'm just blind to who I am. I'm nerdy, not because I love Star Wars. I think I, 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 I've grown Star Wars, right? Sorry, Sean. But it's, 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 it's because I just love, love, love philosophy and theology. I really do. I really do. More so than the Super Bowl, right? Just give me a good lecture series on Hegelian philosophy, and I'm in heaven, right? I really am. But what I realized about myself is this. I can be the nerdiest guy in the world, and I can have a very nerd-like knowledge of theology and philosophy. If I don't put, as they say, put my money where my mouth is, then my faith is really irrelevant. I may have, I may be the fan of the most precise theologian, right? I may be the fan of the most Harsh, not harsh, most passionately real, keeping it real sermon, a.k.a. Paul Washer. I love him. I may be the agreement of, I may be in agreement with Paul Washer. But if I don't put literally where the money where my mouth is, then my faith is irrelevant. And this is clear from Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus makes a distinction between those who are sheep and those who are goats. Jesus says in Matthew 25, at the judgment day, God will divide people who claim to follow him into sheep or goats. Sheep are those who truly belong to him. Goats are people who think they belong to him, but they really don't. So what is a distinction that Jesus uses? To, to differentiate between the sheep and the goat. Jesus says, you know that you are my sheep. If you fed me when I was hungry, when you, if you clothed me when I was naked, if you visited me when I'm in jail. And people will ask him, Lord, when did we feed you? When did we, when did we clothe you? When did we visit you in jail? And Jesus says, if you show this kind of love to my disciples, to my fellow Christians, if you have fed the Christians when they were hungry, if you have clothed the Christians when they were naked, if you visited fellow Christians in jail, then that's evidence that you're my sheep. But if you have neglected taking care of your fellow Christians, if you literally did not use your money in, you know, consistently with your proclamation of your faith, then you're a goat. It doesn't matter how much fan you are of me, Jesus says. If you don't use your resources to help my brothers and sisters in need, 
that you don't belong to me. All of us here have two main resources. We have our time and we have our money. I'm looking at all of you here. I don't know exactly your finances, but I'm assuming you have money and you have time. And Jesus is saying, you're my sheep. If you use the resources, the tangible material resources that you have to take care of my people who are in need. If you don't invest in these two resources, your time, and your money to the people that are in need. Your faith is not real. Okay? This theme is the theme that Paul addresses when he teaches about how the church should minister to the, to the, to the widows. Okay? In the church in Ephesus, remember, Paul is writing this to Timothy who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Think of Ephesus as a local congregation of believers, right? Paul is saying the, the church, the local congregation, the members of the church in Ephesus, the members of the church in Ephesus, much like the members of the church of Embrace, they should honor the true widow. The word honor here means it's, it means to support with respect and support financially. The word honor here means respect them and also support them financially. I can't wait until we go down to the letter of the verse where he says pastors de deserve double honor. Right? Oh, man. Salary negotiations happening. Right? But in this light, true widows... Paul is telling Timothy, the local congregation in Ephesus should make a line item in their budget to regularly support, financially support the widows on the congregation. He's not talking about having a benevolence fund and making a one sum lump contribution to a widow. Oh, widow, I'm sorry you lost your husband. Here's $1,000. That's not what Paul means here. He means like Social Security. Monthly contributing to the life of the widow so that she can live. I love the deacons, pastors and deacons have monthly meetings right, at the, at the, at the, every last Saturday of the, of the month. We always talk about, can we do this? What does our budget say? Should we make a line item? But I love that conversation. Why? Putting things in a line item of a budget means you're really going to do, you're really going to put your money into that endeavor. Paul is telling the church of Ephesus, the local congregation of Ephesus, you should put a line item in your budget so that monthly you can constantly contribute to the life support of these true widows. Understand? Paul's not, Paul's not condemning one-time contribution of gifts. The church of Macedonia had financial needs, so the people gathered together, and they contributed 
one lump sum payment, like gifts to those churches. Those are all fine. But in this context, it's a regular support of these people. You have to put your money where your mouth is. I think that should be the title of a sermon. Putting your money, putting your money where your mouth is. But Paul says, you must do this, but you should only financially, continuously support. You should make a line item budget in your line item item in your budget for only the true widows. Who are the true widows? It doesn't say if you're a widow, just you're, you, just by the fact that you're a widow means that you deserve contribution from the church. It doesn't mean that. It is only those who are true widows who deserve regular contribution from the church. Who are the true widows? Number one, definition of true widow is a widow who is truly alone. A widow that has, who has no relative. Who has no relative who can take care of them. So even though your husband has died, if you have children or grandchildren, or if you're a young widow, if you, have a, if you have a father who can take care of you, then financially speaking, you're not a true widow that the church should contribute. Why? Because it is the duty of the relative. It is the duty of children. Listen to me carefully, Caleb Lee. It is the duty of the children. It is a godly, no, God-ordained, God-commanded duty of a child to support his, his parents when they're in financial need. I'm not saying when I'm older, I want Caleb to buy me a Ferrari. That's, that's, that's not biblical at all. Don't worry about it, son. But if I, am, if I don't have any financial means, then it is up to Caleb and Charlotte to financially support me and my wife. It is clear. So a true widow is someone who doesn't have people like this. But we briefly talked about it a couple of weeks ago, about the, the duty that a, that, that a relative owes his parents, right? Godliness. Paul's very definition in chapter, is verse 4, I think. Oh, I'm sorry, in verse 8. Paul's very definition of godliness. Is it verse 4? Oh, yeah, verse 4. In verse 4, Paul's very definition of godliness, which basically means imitating God. The way you imitate Christ is godliness. But godliness is basically imitating Christ. And the, one, of the, one of the clearest ways that you imitate Christ it's for you, for, for the relative, to take care of the financial needs of their parent. Matthew, uh, John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Jesus is up on the cross. He's, he's, being, he's in the process of being crucified. He's up there dying. And when he looks down, he sees his mother, Mary. And he sees his disciple, John. And he says, as he was dying on the cross, woman, he tells Mary, 
The reason why he calls Mary woman is a very theologically loaded term. One of the reasons is from that moment on, Mary should not look at Jesus physically as, as in terms of his son, but his savior. She says, woman, he is your son. He's pointing to John. And John, this is your mother. He's saying John should take care of Mary after Jesus died. Up on that cross, he is making arrangements so that Mary will be taken care of. Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, had his mother's well-being in mind. So you cannot possibly call Christ your Lord if you ignore the financial need, especially of your mother when she becomes a widow. Verse 8, Jesus says, and we'll talk about verse 8 later. Paul also says in verse 4, let them make some returns. He says in verse 4, right? They let them, the children, first learn to show godliness to their own households and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. What Paul is saying is this. If a child support his widow mother financially, this is godly, and this is well-pleasing to God. And the, and the reason why this is well-pleasing to God, according to verse 4, is Paul says, when children make return to the parents, which means when children give back to the parents what they receive from their parents, this is pleasing to God. What have you received from your parents? Biological life? Yeah. But you have received more than that. You received their sacrifice. For those of you with young children, surely knows. What sacrifice involves in raising children? You lose sleep at night, right? As cute as that baby cooing sound is, it's not so cute when the baby cries at 3 o'clock in the morning. Financially, you guys are very, we're very expensive financially. Trust me when I know. When I pay for that UVA tuition every month, I have a keen awareness of how much it costs. All worth it, son. I'm not complaining. But it's expensive. I just don't say, son, I love you. Worry about your tuition on yourself. I know some of you tell me that I got to do that, right? Some of you say, oh, let him learn the hard way. Let him be a man. Let him be responsible. Hey, okay, right? But, but there is, not just me, but for all of you, there is a sacrifice. For a lot of you, your parents left a really good job in Korea to come to America so that you can be educated here in the U.S. so that you don't have to go to the Army. You're welcome, kids, that you don't have to go to the Korean Army. 
and they, live, they work tireless jobs in a country that they don't speak the language. It's hard. They sacrifice for you. And God says, when you return their sacrifice to them when they are in need, this is pleasing to God. You cannot be more practical Christian than this. Take care of your parents when they're old. That is godly, that's imitating Christ, and that, please, that is pleasing to the sight of God. God doesn't need people who only love him and people only in words. They say, if you, if you, look, if you look at donations, they say people who are more vocal in their social support, you know, in their Instagram, in their Twitter or whatever, the people who, who are usually the most, the people who are championing these causes, if you look at their donation, they don't really give, contribute their money to the causes that they expound. The liberal-minded people, they say, even though they're loud in their support of all these social causes, when it comes down to it, they don't really give their money where they're, what they're claiming to support. They're only loving in words. We don't need people who only love people in words. Words are important. But finances, your parents in need, supporting them, that is a very clear way of you loving your parents. Verse 8, he's talking to the men. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, the word male pronoun is here, right? His relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has, he, male, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's telling men. He's he addressing men here because in the Roman, time, Roman Empire times, men are the ones who have control of the finances of the home. Right? And I think this is not just a cultural thing, but, but, but the eternal truth is men should be leaders of their families. And what Paul is saying here is men, you as a leader of your family have to consider the needs of your relatives. Your relatives not only are your parents, but also of your in-laws, anyone who's related to you, including your in-laws. It is your duty, men, to add a line item budget in your home budget to make sure that you support your relatives in need. This is how a lot of people work, right? This is, this is a, after they get married, our parents all become older, and the husband says, I'm going to give my money to my mom and my dad, right? And wife, you give your money to your parents, right? You do you, and I do me, right? And a lot of people fight over this. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Men, you as a leader, it is your responsibility to be mindful of the financial needs of your relatives, especially your parents and your in-laws and your grand and their grandparents. And financially support them if they are in need. If you don't do this, 
You're denying your faith. And you're worse than an unbeliever. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know finances, it's not, we don't have unlimited source of income. There are choices that we need to make. I understand that. I understand diapers are expensive. Believe me, I know. The thing about diapers is, as the kid grows older, you get less and you've got to pay more. It's crazy. It's a scam. Right? The happiest day of my life is when my children got free from diapers. I was so happy, I cried. I understand, I understand giving little Johnny an amazing childhood is really, really important. Right? Taking little Johnny to Disney World and taking Johnny to the beach is really important. I know it is. Taking little Sally to paying little Sally's violin lessons and piano lessons, even though she'll never play the violin and piano for the rest of her life, that's really important. I know Netflix subscriptions and YouTube subscriptions and Hulu subscriptions, I know they're all important. But so is the financial need of your in-laws and your parents. And if it need be, sacrifices have to be made. It's hard, isn't it, what I'm telling you? But that's what God wants you to do. And some of you are doing it swimmingly well. Okay? True widows are people who don't have relatives to take care of them. These relatives who don't take care of their parents, there are people like that in the world. Jesus says God will condemn them. And these widows who don't have anyone, they need, the church needs to support them. The qualifications of widow number, true widow number one, they don't have any relatives to take care of them. Qualifications of widow number, the second qualification of what makes a widow a true widow is they devote their life in prayer. Verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. How do you know that you're a, true, a woman is a true widow? The woman hopes in God. And the woman prays night and day in supplications. This is what a true widow looks like. The true widow is persuaded that Jesus Christ is really real. Faith in Christ, belief in Christ is this, that you are persuaded that he is absolutely real. Right? People who don't know Christ, they, they're just swimming in these Ideas, they're trapped in their own ideas, but people who are saved, they're able to see that Jesus and know that Jesus Christ is real. And that they know that Jesus Christ is who he, he is who he say he is. And they really believe that he is who he say he is. So their hope lies in his agenda and his promises. Because they know Christ is real, and because they are fully persuaded that he, he is who he say he is, and because they know he is the one who provides for them for both earthly and spiritual needs, 
they constantly depend on him in prayer. Charlotte, Kelly, I have to go. Okay, bye, son. I'll, I'll teach you. In, I teach you in, at home. For these these widows, they know their only hope is the reality of Christ, and they look at Christ with their needs, whether physical or spiritual, and they're in constant prayer to Him. Prayer for their needs, prayer for the church's needs, right? For their earthly needs, what they need in this world, as well as their spiritual needs. They're constantly in prayer to Christ. The reason why we don't pray as fervently as we should. I think the number one reason why we don't pray as fervently as we should is because we're not really convinced he, he, he is who we say he is. We don't really see him clearly. We don't really see his agenda. We don't really know his agenda clearly. We really don't trust that he's going to really provide for us in the way, in the manner, in accordance with his agenda. And not no, because we have a very fuzzy, unclear view of Jesus Christ. We would rather, we would rather worry and get upset rather than trusting in him. But a true widow is a woman with certain hope, which leads her to constantly pray to Christ for her needs, for the needs of the church, right? For, for, the, for the needs of everyone. If a widow is like that, Paul says the church must support her. Why? Because a woman like that, it is clear that a woman like that belongs to Christ. And if you're someone who belongs to Christ, and if that woman has no other support, a woman who is clearly has demonstrated with her faithfulness and prayer that she belongs to Christ, and if that person has no one else who can support her, then my golly, it is the church's, it is the local congregation's duty to support, some, to support her. A person who, who belongs to Christ. It is a sin not to financially support the needs of a true Christian. You understand? A true widow is someone who doesn't have relatives who can support them. Who don't have relatives who can support them. And a true widow, through her prayer and through her life, is clearly demonstrated that she belongs to Christ. These widows, the church must support. Who are the widows that the church is? Don't the church is, is has no obligation to support? There are widows that the church does not have an obligation to support. Verse six: It is a widow who is self-indulgent. What is a widow who is self-indulgent? Look, this widow was once a member of the congregation. This widow is not a pagan widow. This widow once belonged to the congregation. And while she's a member of the congregation, her husband died. Now she is in financial need. But this widow, who was a member of the local congregation, decides to find her newfound, I don't want to say freedom, newfound condition, new, con new status 
and to use that status to freely enjoy herself with other men. Self-indulgent here means living for desires. There are widows, when they're, especially when they're young, they say they're free and therefore they live life of self-indulgent. They live in pursuit of their desires. And the Bible is clear. A person who lives in accordance to their desires, a person who is motivated, driven by desires, is a person who is dead spiritually. Spiritual deadness means this. The spiritually dead person means they have no regard for God. They don't care about God. They don't care about the things of God. They don't care about the, stru- the, 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 the way that God structured the universe. They have no regard for God whatsoever. They have no respect for God. It doesn't mean they don't, they don't like spiritual things. It doesn't mean they don't do yoga. It doesn't mean that they don't meditate. It doesn't mean that they're blind to their spiritual needs. That doesn't, spiritually dead doesn't mean that they're ignorant of their spiritual needs. Spiritually dead means they're just ignorant, disregarding, have no respect for the things of God. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. And these widows who, who, who live in pursuit of their self, to satisfy their self-indulgency. These women are spiritually dead, which means they don't belong to Christ. If you are a person who is primarily motivated in the fulfillment of your desires, you may be a nice person, but it means that you're spiritually dead. Look, yesterday was my, tomorrow's my wife's birthday. So what is that, what, you know, as, as, always, as I do, I take her to a really nice restaurant in D.C. I, went to, I took her to this restaurant called Rose's Luxury in, in Capitol Hill. <laughs> so expensive. Anyway, right? <laughs> right? Lovely place. It's a happening place. One of the best restaurants in D.C. It really is, they say. And, the, and it's small, D.C. restaurants, they're like small compared to Northern Virginia. The D.C. restaurants, I think that was, it was an old house that they converted into a restaurant. So it's like a smallish place. And so, you, and, and so the, the, the couple who sat down next to us, it is clear from the course of their conversation that they don't belong to God. It's clear based upon their conversation. You can, you can hear it because it's so small. Yet they seem very lovely. They seem like reasonable, lovely people that I can connect with. But they have no regard for God. How do I know? I will tell you how I know after the service. You can be the most respectful, loving, lovely person. All my unbelieving friends are lovely people. I love them dearly. But if they have no regard for the things of God, as lovely as the people may be, they're spiritually dead. 
They don't belong to God. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2, before you are saved, you are spiritually dead because you are you did not, you were outside of the covenant of God. You didn't believe in God. You were outside of him. These widows who pursue their, who pursue their desires have no regard for God and do not belong to him. Therefore, the church should not, is not obligated to support them. Do you understand? Why that sounds so that sounds so kind of harsh though. A widow is a widow. She doesn't have a husband, especially in the Roman Empire. If you don't have a husband or a son who can speak for you, who can protect you, then you live a very hard life in the Roman Empire. Roman Empire, you either need a you either need an influential father or a husband or a son for a woman to have status in the world. But if you don't have a father or a husband or a son, then you're in need, even if you're young. And surely the nice thing to do is, regardless of how she lives her life, the church will support her. Surely that seems to be the nice thing to do. Am I right, guys? Come on. Isn't that the right thing to do? Yes, they're sinning, but they have financial needs. Shouldn't we support them? I'm persuading myself. But Paul says, no. Why, shouldn't, why isn't this church obligated to support a woman, a self-indulgent widow? It's because I think God wants, sometimes God allows people, if he loves them, to live out the consequences of their sins. Look, every decision, every choice that we make produces fruits, results. It's clear, Right? You reap what you sow. Spiritually dead people who have no regard for God will bear certain fruits in their life consistent with how they, consistent with how they think. If they have no regard for God, then, the, then their lives will bear fruit in accordance to what they, what they you know, accordance with, to, their, to their disregarding of God. They will bear fruits. That fruit is not good. Galatians 5 is clear. That fruit of a life of a person who totally disregards God is a life of division, strife, idolatry, division. You name it. And sometimes God allows people to live out the consequences of their sins so that they will repent and turn back to him. Sometimes God, God allows you to live out what you really want to do. He doesn't stop you. You want to disobey him in this area? Fine. He says he allows you to disobey him in this area. If he loves you, he will stop you. But maybe part of him loving you is, yeah, fine, go, do it your way. And many years later, you will finally reap the fruit of your total disregarding of him. And maybe then you will repent and come back to him. Story of, you remember the story of Gomer? 
Jose and Gomer. Gomer is the local, I don't think she was a prostitute. She basically was a very unfaithful, she was a very self-indulgent woman in Israel. And God calls the prophet Hosea to love the self-indulgent woman. And God marries, and, and Hosea marries her, is really good to her. But Gomer, for a season, really appreciates Hosea for all he does. But eventually, she goes out and she has relationship with men again. Hosea forgives her again. She says, oh, I really appreciate it. I will never betray you ever again. But those are just words because in the end, she betrays Hosea over and over and over again. To one point, to one day, she leaves Hosea for a man. And the man sells Gomer as a slave. And Hosea finds her. As a slave auction, at a slave auction. When Gomer was younger, for whatever reason, she liked the attention of men. And men entertained her. But once men have no use for her, they the, the men the, the, the men dis discard her and sold her as a slave. It is then when Hosea comes to rescue Gomer in the slave auction. Gomer repents. God does not allow, is not, does not obligate the church to support a self-indulgent widow. Because maybe one day the woman will come to her senses and realize the fruit of her disobedience. And will come repent to God. That's why Paul says you are under no obligation, church, to support a self-indulgent widow. Understand? One of the things about interesting things about doing expository preaching verse by verse. Never in my million years would I think about preaching to you about this topic about widow. But what this widow topic clearly shows, it reveals what God, what, what is pleasing to God. And what does a person who belongs to God look like? A person who belongs to God is not a self-indulgent person. But they live a life of faithful prayer. They live a life of this constant hoping in the Lord. They live a life of truly taking care of the people that are in need with their time and money. That's what a person of God looks like. God is not just calling us to love him in words. But in action and money. Verse 9 will end quickly. Paul talks about putting widows on a list. Verse 9, let a, let a widow be enrolled if she, is not, if she is not less than 60 years old of age. What in the world does that mean, enrolling widows? It, the word enrolled here means 
put someone on a list. So in the church of Ephesus, evidently there was a list of widows. Okay? What does it, so in the church of Ephesus, there was a list of widows. And, and Paul says, put certain widows on this list. The list, the widow list, are the list of widows in the church who are either, who either, okay, there's two possibilities. The list is either list of widows that the church needs to financially support. That's one possibility. Or second, uh, second interpretation is they have a church has a list of widows whom the church, if the widow's on this list, the church, like, you know, the church calls them into certain ministry of the church. So there's a list of widows that the church, the, the Paul, that the church of Ephesus keeps, and the women on this list are the servants of the church. They minister to the body of believers. The widows on this list, you know, ministers to the body of believers. And I think, if you look at the context, I think it's, it, you can combine both interpretations. I think the list, our list of widows who devote their lives to Christ in the service of his church, who is, the, the list is a list of widows who exclusively devote their lives to Christ in the service of his church. And the list of widows, the, and the widows who are on this list, are also the widows who should be supported by the church. So the list of widows who do ministry for the church and who is also regularly supported by the church. I think that's what, what, what Paul means here. So he says there are certain widows that you should put on the list, that you should support them, and that you should put them on the ministry team of widows so that they can support the ministry of the church. These widows, what these widows do is they go out and they minister to the members of the church. For example, when you have a little baby, the widows would come and they would help new mothers with the needs of the mother. Imagine you're a young mom and you haven't gotten sleep because your baby keeps on crying. The widows come and say, why don't you sleep, mom? I will take care of little Johnny for the afternoon. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Or, you know, let's say the mom has to go to work or something. Then the widow will come and say, I will watch little Johnny while you have to work. Or if you, need, if you need to go to the hospital and there's no one not to go to the hospital with you, widow, the widow squad would come and go to the hospital with you. If you need interpretation going to the DMV, rather than calling your child, the widow squad could come and take you to the DMV. Isn't that wonderful? The widow squad. I just thought of it at this moment. The widow squad has, is supported by the church. These are women who devote their lives entirely for Christ and the service of his church. And Paul says, not everyone, not every widow should be put on this list. Not every widow should be part of the widow squad. Who should be part of the widow squad? These are the lists of, to be on the widow squad. You have to be over 60 years old. You have to have been, you have to have been wife of one husband. You have to have a, have a reputation of good works, right? You have shown to be hospitable. You have washed the feet of the saints, has care for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. 
If there is a woman who spent her entirety of her life in service to her family, to her husband, to her church, to the saints, and if she's done every good work, and when she's over 60 years old and becomes a widow, guess what? Put her on the widow squad. And we'll support her. Oh, how I wish I had a widow squad. Right? That doesn't sound right, does it? That's what Paul means here. Thing that application, quickly, I'll end soon. The application here is this. Living like this, right, to be on the widow squad, you need to have a track record of godly good work living. Being faithful to your husband, raising your kids, supporting the saints, being hospitable, giving yourself to the church. There's a record of service. And this should be the record of service. Should be this, All Christians should strive to have this kind of record in their lives. Right? We should all strive to be on the widow squad. Isn't this the life that God wants us to live? Devoting ourselves to the service of Christ and his people and our family. Look, I'm not going to say who, but like there was this guy who had a birthday this past week. You can narrow it down. There were a couple of guys who had birthdays this past week. And I said, oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, guy, I said. He says, and I said, I'm proud of you, man. He says, I will strive to love my family and serve the church. It brought tears to this old man. Because that's what the members of the widow squad has done. They devoted their entire life in the service of their family, in the service of the church. In the short existence, isn't that the way we should live our lives? Right? And number two, application. There's no retirement. The last thing we should do, the Christians should not think of retiring. How do you be on the widow squad? What's the first qualification to be on the widow squad? 60 years old. Older than 60 years old. The life expectancy of people during that time is not 85. It's a Roman Empire. It was before indoor plumbing. Before modern health care. How, dude, this is like 1,500 years before 1,700 years before George Washington. In George Washington's age, 45 was the average life expectancy of a, of a man. So a woman in this time, if she gets to the to 60, she's like, it's a miracle. What do you do after you, after, you re, after you beat the odds and reach 60? You go work for the church. That's such a beautiful way to live. The modern thinking, oh, I'm going to make my millions, and I'm going to retire. Nice sentiment, understandably. But that's, not, that's a waste of a life. You're going to wait. Let's say you retire when you're 65, and you die when you're 85. 20 years you're going to spend living for yourself in this life. What are you going to do, drive an RV all, and see America? I was, there was a YouTube guy that I follow. 
<laughs> this guy, he's, he's, like, he's like Asian dude. He calls himself the tech millionaire. He always says, hey, I'm a tech millionaire. I made my millions working for Facebook. That's his tagline, right? So he's a tech millionaire, programmer for Facebook. He's a millionaire. He tells me over and over again that he is. And this millionaire said, oh, I'm going to vacation. I'm going to vacation, and I'm going to take a photography as a hobby. Fantastic millionaire guy. He's, and he went to Japan. Osaka, was it? And after two weeks, he says, I got to get out of here. So I got to give up photography. This is driving me crazy. He says, being in Japan for two years as a, as, as a visitor, it makes him go insane because he knows he's not attached to anything. You live, you serve the people of God until the day you die. That's the beautiful way of living. He talks about younger widows who shouldn't be on the list. Basically, he says, younger widows shouldn't be on the widow squad because younger women, basically, they have needs and they have urges and they have desires. Younger women should get married and have children. That's what Paul says, basically. But the lesson is, there's a way in which God wants you to live. Live like a person who can be qualified, live as if you want to be qualified for the widow squad. That's a life pleasing to God. Let's pray.